Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. On Friday, I was watching the NBC News, and there was a story about a tenant in an apartment building who had not paid her rent, and the landlord had gone to the apartment building on several occasions and knocked at the door and tried to get her to pay the rent. She didn't answer the door and she, everything got quiet when the landlord would knock on the door and pretended like she wasn't there. And uh, Some of you, this is ringing kind of true to your existence. Uh, and, uh, but she was way behind, many, many months behind in her rent. And she refused to answer. And then uh, they... The landlord, who was kind of a novice landlord, he'd bought the building only not too long ago, uh, began to talk around with a couple other landlords and found out that they too had had the same experience with her. So he called up NBC and they have that thing where they go out and find, try to solve your issue, you know. So they, they found this gal and they realized that what she does is she goes to the landlord and she gives her two-month deposit. In this case, it was $2,400. And then she stayed there and it took them six months to kick her out of the apartment building. So she was, in, a, in effect, paying $400 a month for her rent for her family. And then she'd move into another place, all this down by the UIC. And so uh, she, was, she just kept cycling through from apartment building to apartment building to apartment building. So NBC announced, showed her picture, which I thought was humiliating and announced that she owes $37,000 in back rent. She is essentially robbing the landlord of what is rightfully his, right? And as I was listening to that, I thought to myself, Jesus told a parable that's kind of like that. And it's here in Matthew 21, all the way down to verse 33. So as I studied that parable, I began to think, that there's something here for us to, to learn here as we begin into the Holy Week. In fact, this is just right after Jesus enters Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, on that, that Sunday when everybody's so happy to see Jesus that they come in and uh, they applaud Him and wave branches and throw their cloaks down on the dirt and all that just so that they can congratulate Jesus for coming in. Little do they tip off that they will turn on Jesus pretty quick. But Matthew 23, 21, verse 33 says this. Listen to another parable. There was a landlord who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants 
to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent, an, he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will, he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you ever read in the Scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who, fail, who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them, and they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Father, would you help us today as we look at your word? There's a life transformation here, Father God. There is an alter in, altering in, of our thinking as we look at this passage of Scripture, Lord. There's something here that you want to teach us. In fact, several somethings, Lord. But I pray that you would show us the amazing grace of our Father in heaven and show us the great mercies that come to us and your great provision for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Sorry about my voice today. I'm uh, not sure which one of you got me sick, but <clears throat> may you have a bad itch all day so you know who you are. It's near the, the end of Jesus' ministry. He's just entered into the city. In five days, he will be murdered. They will arrest him and imprison him, charge him with blasphemy, accuse him of insurrection. They will hold an illegal trial at night. They will beat him mercilessly. They will judge him worthy of death and march him up the streets to the place that they called the skull. There they will remove his clothing and hang him on a cross, naked before the public, who watched the scene play out. We've seen this scene acted out many times, from church plays to Hollywood movies, and everything in between. Yet in every single one of those depictions of the cross, we, even the most grossly violent ones, we cannot display the horror of the cross. Even in those movies that are trying to display the terrible nature of the crucifixion, they cannot fully display it there on the screen for us to see. Perhaps that is because in our soul, in our heart, when we look upon the cross, we recognize that there is where I should have been. And we cannot see, we cannot... We never fully, you know, we get Jesus in a diaper, we never get the fully naked Jesus. We get Jesus beaten, but somehow He's still able to, to move and to, 
and to walk. We get Jesus who is even, sometimes He's so unscathed by the beating that in some of these depictions that it's almost an insult to depict it that way. For the cross is a horror. The cross is terrible in the truly, most truest awesome sense of being terrible. It strikes terror into the soul. And maybe that's just why we can't look at it the way it was really done. Jesus, just a few days before they crucify Him, tells this story of a landlord who owns a vineyard. Of course, the vineyard is symbolic in the parable. And some of the things that are spoken here are symbolic. And so we'll try to peel some of those things out of there. I just want to talk about three different concepts. The first concept is ownership. We, we understand a little bit about what a tenant farmer is. We have a history here in the United States of tenant farming. Tenant farming is just in the same thing here where someone is, uh, has money and they own some property, but they don't have the physical capability perhaps to farm that land, and so they put that land to tenants in hopes that they will get some some of the produce back from that land. And so, in theory, it could be a good way to, to, for a farmer to start out and for an, uh, a landowner to get some, some uh, fruit back from his land instead of letting the land go fallow. If we look at this, we recognize, and we know in the f first century, really the landowner was asking for about half of all the fruit that would come off of this land. And when, we're, when we see the, the tenant farmer, now we understand from our history in this country, tenant farming is no way to get rich. It is very hard, back-breaking work. Your job is to provide 100% of the labor that is given. The, 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 this thing has been provided for you, and we'll look here in a second and see that, he, that they have been well provided for, but your job is to do the work. And you don't, no one really messes with you when you're the tenant farmer because they want you to have as much time as, they could possibly, as you could possibly have so that you could, you could be productive. Look at your neighbor and say, be productive. How many of you, as we were reading this, as we were reading this, how many of you, as we were reading it, or as I was reading it, heard those words that are really lively words to us this year because of the place that the Lord has brought us, and the and thing, to bear fruit. I heard that as it leaped off the page as I was reading that. It was like the Holy Spirit highlight, a Holy Spirit highlighter. Sometimes He does that in your Bible. You know, He highlights it to your spirit. Your spirit picks up on it. It's about bearing fruit. And it's all, being tenants is all about bearing fruit. He's given them good soil. He's given them opportunity and it's their job to go and bear fruit. All they have to provide is the hard work. Now, the, the owner of the land, the landlord, just wants half of everything that's, that's there. We are told that this is not a cornfield, it is a vineyard. It's interesting to me, I don't know if this is interesting to you, but you're going to hear it anyway. That in those, when we do a vineyard out in California or even in southern Illinois, they make good wine, I'm told, in southern Illinois. And so <clears throat> they, uh, when we do a vineyard there, 
we will run the vine down a fence post and then along a fence rail and then to another fence post and those vines will go down the entirety of a field and you can look in between those, those rows. There's about between six and eight feet in between those rows where the workers can come through and examine and test and look and, and harvest those grapes that are on that, that vine. That's not the way it was done in Israel. It was done one of two ways. In, in Israel, they would train the vine to go straight up a post. And as it would go up the post, then it would begin to hang down. And as it would hang down, then they would train it to go down a specific row, a specific area, and it would roll on the ground on rocks. They would move rocks. They found, uh, um, they found these... Uh, fields with lines of rocks in there, and it took them a long time to figure out what these were. This is so that the grapes were never laying in the dirt, so they wouldn't get eaten by pests and bugs. So the grapes were lying on these rocks. So these long rows of rocks, and then every so many feet, a new vine running either direction along the rocks. And, then, and so there was, had to be some way for them to examine these and make sure that these things, since they were running so low to the ground, that they were not being eaten by wild beasts. This landlord provides for his tenants a wall completely around the entirety of the vineyard. It's a walled off. It causes a division between those folks and the people outside. And it gives them a way of protecting. He's put a wall completely around this vineyard. And then he's put a tower in that vineyard. Likely the bottom of that tower was uh, a place of shade and a place of rest might even have been the house where these tenants lived. But on top, there was a tower so that someone could keep watch at night, especially towards harvest time, when people would be more likely to come climb the wall and get in there and grab them some grapes. Also, he has, he has created in this a press, a wine press. Now, this is not a small issue. They would have to... Uh, hew out a large stone, this is the way it was done in those days, hew out a large stone, make a low spot in it, and then trench out into this like, piece of granite a, a channel, and then into a concrete or, or stone-lined uh, uh, trough that would come out, and underneath that they would hold their buckets or their, their wine skins or their bottles or their whatever to, to take the, the liquor from the grapes. So the whole purpose of this, in other words, this is move-in ready, is what I'm trying to say to you, right? You're the farmer. All you need to do, you don't have to bring your own grapes. You don't really need much of your own tools. All you need to do is move into this place because God has set this place, I mean the landlord, has set this place up in such a way that all you have to do is tend the fruit watch the fruit, pick the fruit, stomp the fruit, and put it in a bottle, and then give half of it to the landlord. That's all that's required of you, and that seems to be pretty simple. As Jesus is telling this story, it's got to be plain to those people that He is talking to how, what a setup job this is for these people. All they have to do is move in and start working, and they immediately can be, begin to get this profit. The thieves are kept out. The wild animals are kept off those vines that are on the ground. Everything is falling into place. The wine press is ready for the harvest. Everything is there. 
The watchtower is there to look out and keep watch at night, especially during those seasons when it could be easily picked over. And there is this, the owner is gracious upon gracious. He sends a few servants to go. They murder his servants. He sends more servants. They murder his servants. And then to the horror of Jesus' audience, Jesus says, then the man says, well, surely they will honor my son. And as Jesus is telling this story, even though they had never read the story, the people who are listening to the story are saying, No, man, don't send your son there because these aren't the kind of people who will respect your son. Right? Isn't that what they're all crying from the soul? In fact, Jesus at one point says, after they murder his son, then Jesus says, what will become of these people? And the answer of the crowd is, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. This is diabolical what they have done because they've been set up but they were too lazy to produce the fruit, or for some reason they chose not to produce the fruit. Maybe it was greed, maybe it was laziness, maybe it was rebellion, whatever it was, they were too, uh, uh, too they were just not right. And so they weren't going to give the, the landlord what was his due. It's as, the, as the, we're looking at this, we hear the crowd say, He will bring that wretch to a wretched end. In other words, we would be crying out, yes, get that guy because he's immoral and unrighteous. He's a thief, right? The unthinkable response. Partly that is because of the way it is to be a tenant farmer. The landlord says, here you go, here's the field, here's the work on this, do, it, do this, grow this stuff, I'll be back to collect half, and then you don't hear from him again. He's coming again soon enough, but for now, for the tenant farmer, the tenant farmer says, look, kids, wife, look what God has given us. We have this wonderful place to labor. Must be exciting new way to turn over our leaf and, and start fresh and new. And there's probably some excitement. Imagine as they toil the dirt and work on the vines and as they're working, as it just seems like it's the sweat of their brow with every successive grape that they pluck from the vine. They're saying, this grape is my fruit. This is what I have produced on my glorious vineyard. And as they step out in the morning and they smell the fragrant uh, vintage growing around them, it becomes very comfortable to say, look what we have. Look at all that we have. Look how we've been set up. We've been so blessed. Finally, we get the life that we deserve. That's what they're saying. It's amazing to me. You know, he's not talking about real tenants, right? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the people of Israel. But the implication, 
The reason why the story is kept into the Gospels is because it really applies to all religious people. Because you and I sit in our living room with a hot cup of tea or coffee and survey all that God has given to us. And buddy, you have been set up. He has given you more than you could ever need. He has given you greatness. But it's not enough for you. You want more. You clamor for more. I will say without hesitation that we live in the greatest country in the world. We live in the greatest country in the world. People come here to get things right. But I want you to be aware that there's a movement afoot of people who want more. Now, whether you're a socialist or not, I don't care about that. But the hue and cry of this people is, we want more. We want those who have been unfairly advantaged to pay their fair share. And we want a free ride for us. We reject the investment that they make in society, and we, I know this is dangerously close to politics, so if you're uncomfortable, I understand. Just stay there, I'll get out of this. People are crying out. We want a better deal. And I'm just saying, whether you're a socialist or not, I don't care which way you vote one way or the other to make a difference to me, but the issue for me is, this is about your soul. You, ma'am, you, sir, you're in the greatest country in the world. You've been set up. You've been provided for. We have more jobs than we have workers in our society. And you know what the hue and cry around us is? We want a better deal. And to me, it's a lot like these tenants who are saying, we're not going to give you your due. We're holding back your due. We don't want to give the landlord what the landlord is supposed to get. It's like, well, it's like this woman who's down in, by the University of Chicago who owes $37,000 in rent. I was a landlord for a little while, and I'm going to tell you, if someone owes you $37,000 in back rent, you will not see dime one of that. And you will have to wrestle with that for all your soul because we've fooled ourselves into thinking that what we have is stuff that we own. The Bible rightly tells us that we are but stewards of what God has given to us. <laughs> I marvel at us, you know, as our 27, 28, 29-year-olds are living in our basements. We forgot that these young people we're supposed to be reared so that they would leave the nest. Hello. Thus saith the Lord, leave the nest. Give your mama and daddy a break in Jesus' name. Right? It's comfortable in the nest. 
can put your feet up, watch cable TV in the nest. Hey, it's not your nest. Right? We forget that. We, we get very comfortable in where we're living. And so we start to think it's all ours. As if it is, but, but the reality of it is the landlord's going to come and ask for his portion. And when he does, we're offended. Oh, the church just wants to talk about money. There's a landlord. In more than one way you can understand, there's a landlord that has to be paid. And the reality of it is, we miss this understanding that everything from our children to our homes, to our bank accounts, to our retirement accounts, our retirement accounts, our retirement accounts. All that is not ours. Belongs to someone else. The life I live, I live to God alone. Why would they reject? Why would they reject the landlord? I mean, they know the deal. They saw, they read the contract. They signed the contract. They knew I, there is a God. The two undeniable things on this earth, there is a God. You're not Him. Right? We get screwed up when we either think there is no God, and therefore the landlord's never coming, or that we're God. And then in which case, you, you're really screwed up. You're living on your own rules. But, but the, the landlord has set them up, and now we have to try to figure out what, why this, this rejection. The first thing I want to point to is we, are, we have to get this ownership thing down. When Jesus died for you as a Christian, and you surrendered, you gave you. How many of you gave your life to Jesus? Raise your hand if you gave your life to Jesus. Right. There's no take backs. No take backs. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you. Jesus is looking at the angels going, it was mine all the time anyway. I'm the God who breathed life into your soul. You're, the, you're, you're only alive because I allow you to be alive, right? Some of us are, you know, one blink away from taking a dirt nap, right? So we know. Right? We get it. Walk into the cancer ward. There's a lot of people there who know, I need God. I need God. So why would these guys turn this away? Well, part of us are just rebellious. You know, if this is you, I'm sorry. But we're just rebellious. We like to pretend and ignore the fact, and then, you know, after I got saved a few years, I remember getting pulled over. I had a very love-hate relationship with the police in my town that I grew up in. I love to hate them. That was her the love-hate relationship. And before I was a Christian, I was, you know, abused, frankly. You know, if I was a, had a victim mentality, I would have had a sign and marched around there, thrown down the stairs, you know, 
Uh, now, granted, I was not sober, but I was thrown down the stairs with handcuffs on to go down to the lockup and, and a few other things, you know. Now, granted, I'm no angel. I would sneak to the police, uh, police cars. In those days, the handles came out from the door like this, you know. Didn't have those clip-up ones. They had the little ones. Uh, Officer Hinko, I probably owe him an apology uh, in Homewood. I... Uh, took a lock that I found on a, on a golf course and locked a sewer cap to his door. Uh, <laughs> I used to go by, when he was writing a ticket for someone else, I would go by, put my car in neutral, and rev it up real, real loud, you know, and give him the flying fickle finger of fate as I was drive by, you know. On occasion, they would catch me and, you know, beat me up or whatever, you know. So then I got saved. And I was driving. I'd been saved a year or two. I don't remember how long. And, and I got saved and got pulled over by Officer Hinkle. And uh, he, being very wise, called another officer to witness what he was about to do to me. Assume the position. So with my hands on the hood of the 1952 Willys that I drove at that time, it was a sweet truck. Oh, it was a... And he's, we're going to go through, and in a 52 Willys, there's not many places you can stash anything. We're going to go through here, write this down, whatever I pull out of here. I'm there, and this guy, one guy with a pad of paper ready to write down everything they're going to confiscate. One holy Bible. One holy Bible. He checks the inside to make sure it's not cut out to hold any dope or anything like that. I'm like, I, I don't do that anymore. I, I don't get high anymore. I got saved. I'm, I'm, I'm living for the Lord. Yeah, yeah, just shut up. And he's going through there. One Bible study book on the book of Galatians. It was my testimony in the worst possible fashion. But even years after that, I would be driving and the lights would come on behind me. You know the lights I'm talking about, right? The multicolored lights. And that thing would rise up on the inside of my chest and I would be like, wait, I'm a Christian. I'm not holding anybody's dope. I don't have anything illegal in my car. I'm okay. I'm all right. I mean, we, there's an inner rebellion on the inside of us that we reject anyone with power. Right? It may be something that happened to you or something you saw happen to you in the neighborhood. or You know, there's an inner rebellion. So sometimes it's rebellion. Sometimes it's that uh, we just reject authority. If somebody says, we will all go to the bathroom at 5 o'clock, you will not go to the bathroom. You know, you're the person who says, well, I'll just sit here cross-legged. Somebody in authority says something, you roll your eyes. Parking clearly says out here you have to have your flashers on. You never have your flashers on when you park there. That's me. I'm just talking to me. 
We have speed limits that we take as suggestions. Right? Come on now. It's starting to get close, huh? It almost feels like it's in our DNA to reject authority. Right? I'm not saying I'm not guilty. I'm guilty of some of this. Sometimes we have a, a hatred of accountability. Like we'll go on our life and do everything, and yeah, that guy should do that. And, that guy should, and then somebody says, hey, you should have done this. And we don't like it when people do that. We don't like people hold our feet to the fire and say, you should have done that. Accountability for someone else is okay, but accountability for us makes us uncomfortable, and we have to do that. Uh, Bob Dylan wrote a song called You Have to Serve Somebody. And that's what that song's all about. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. At some time, you're going to have to serve somebody. You have to get yourself to the point where you recognize you are not number one. There used to be a Christian love song where the guy said to his, his wife-to-be, I'm so glad I found you. You're my number two. That's really the truth. If your wife ever creeps into number one, that's called idolatry. She's always got to be number two. Your husband's always got to be number two. Maybe like in this case, there was just greed. We want what we want, and we want our portion, and we don't want to give our portion away. We don't want to give the landlord his due. We don't want to give anything that's, that's his due. And so it sets up this strife between landlord and tenant in our life. It's important that Jesus tells us here, rejection begets rejection. You're going to reject the deal that we made, then understand that your rejection begets me rejecting you. I will throw you off of the property. And I will bring in new people who will give me of the fruit. To Israel, this meant that Israel was going to lose their position as the people of God and a new group of people, a scruffy group of Gentiles. Look at your neighbor. This is the group that's going to replace those Israelis. We're going to re replace them. Jesus quotes this, Psalm 118, about, the, about the, the stone, the cornerstone. We've talked about that in times past, but it's important for us to recognize that we misquote this psalm all the time. We say, this is the day that the Lord has made. As if Sunday... Is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that the Lord has made. No, it's not. Monday? No. Tuesday? No. Wednesday? No. This is what it says in, in the psalm. Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous might enter. I will give you thanks... For you answered me, you have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. 
I will rejoice and be glad in it. In other words, you answered our prayer, you, you, you met our needs, you brought salvation to our house, the, 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 the stone that was rejected, Jesus who was rejected by the house of Israel, that Jesus, that Jesus has, now, has now been received by God and He's been the, become the cornerstone of this new temple made of living stones. And I stand back and I say, oh, thank you God for that. Because now this is the day that the Lord has made. This new day that God has brought us into. This new day where we have a Savior named Jesus. Where our, our hearts are forgiven. Where He's gone to the cross on our behalf. This is the day that the Lord has made. In other words, the, 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 the one that was rejected has now become accepted. And the one that was accepted and has now rejected the Father rejected the landlord, he now gets rejected and thrown out because he refuses to produce fruit for the landlord. Ouch. Ouch. First thing we've got to remember is we are not owners of it all. Second thing we have to remember is that rejection begats rejection. And then this thing that Jesus says, it's... it's a little cryptic, a little scary. I tell you the truth that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And anyone whom it falls will be crushed. Broken or crushed? That's your choice. Not a great choice. The stone that the builders rejected is a stumbling stone. Isaiah prophesied about that in Isaiah chapter 8. It's a stumbling stone. It will cause many to, to, to error, many to trip over because they miss what Jesus is doing there. But if you will fall on that stone, if you will give up your life and fall on that stone, yes, you will be broken to pieces. But God can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But your life has to be broken to pieces. Your life has to be broken to pieces. You can't come and say, Jesus, I want You to be my Savior, but I want me to be my Lord. I want to be the boss. I'll tell you which things you should bless. Oh, come on now. That's Christianity as we see it sometimes in this 21st century in America. I'll tell you what to bless, Lord. Bless this, not this. God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And you can get on board or you can get lost. That's really the truth. You reject me, you're rejecting the only thing you... Will you two leave? That's what He said to His disciples after He said a hard saying. They said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So the question is, I'll either fall in a stone and be broken to pieces and end up with eternal life, or I'll have the stone fall on me like in Daniel chapter 2, that stone that reminds us of the kingdom and it crushes us. Broken or crushed? It's almost shaken, not stirred. When um, my son Seth was a young man, he was playing on a swing set 
decided to go for gusto and jumped off the thing and broke his arm. And uh, took him to a bone specialist, and the bone specialist set his arm, put him in a cast and everything. And then he had to come back a week or two later, I think it was two weeks later, and as we brought him in, he put him, the cast up on the thing, and he shined an x-ray on there, took a picture, looked at the picture, and he said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, we're going to have to re-break that arm. Now, it had set up pretty good, so he started cutting the cast off. I remember as a father thinking, I don't want this to happen. It was traumatic enough to have the arm broken the first time, now to break it again on purpose. And so, as, as you can imagine, the fellow just grabs his arm, and you hear a little grinding and snapping as he moves that... Sorry, a little close to lunch to be talking like this, I guess, but... Snaps it into place. And he says, there, that'll do it. And it healed up okay. He seems to play the guitar all right, don't you think? This morning, I thought he played all right. <laughs> As a parent, you never want to see your children go through a breaking. But if the great physician knows, sometimes you need to be broken to pieces in order to really, really be healed. Otherwise, You'll be that guy with the weird arm, right? <laughs> Who would ever pay attention to him if his arm stuck way out weird like that while he's preaching? You over there! Repent! <laughs> Come on down to this altar and. Okay. It would have been bad, right? So, clearly, it was God's will to, break, to hurt him again. It hurts to be broken to pieces. But it's necessary for us to be healed. Paul said it like this, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Your pride cannot exist when you're broken to pieces. Your will cannot endure when you've been broken to pieces. To come in contact with the cornerstone is either to be crushed by it and annihilated, or to be falling on it and to be broken so that you can be healed. I know you're going to be shocked by this, but the Pharisees were offended. The Pharisees were offended. All the Pharisees get offended. If you're offended, you need to check yourself to see if you're not a Pharisee. Immediately they begin to plot, how are we going to kill this guy? How can we arrest him? Well, we can't do it now because because of the political repercussions. Otherwise, they're saying, we can't do it now because we're afraid of what people will say about us. What will people think? That's what we do, right? 
what will people think if I fall on the rock and my life gets all broken up? When I came to Jesus, gave my life to the Lord, came home, my grandfather told me I was an idiot for giving my life to Jesus. My mother said, you can't do that, we're Lutheran. Family member after family member after family member thought I was a weird freak. But you have to be broken. You have to be broken. You have to come to the end of yourself. And if you're thinking about someone else, how they need to be broken, stop it. Think about yourself. You're the one I'm preaching to today. Everybody in here knows it. Every single person in this room, every single person who hears this message on a podcast is going to come face to face with the landlord one day. The ultimate question is, have you been running and dodging your rent or are you paying the landlord? Because the landlord is due love because he reached out to us in great love. The landlord is due his portion because he's given that to us. The landlord is due praise every day. The landlord is due praise. If you got up in the morning and started praising God and you didn't shut up until you went to sleep, that would not be enough praise for our landlord. Because he has set you up for success. He has blessed your life and brought you to a place where you can share with him that which he has given to you. He desires you. He longs for you to do it. He wants you to bear fruit, not so he can steal it away from you, so that the two of you can rejoice in it together. When you understand the kingdom, you're more excited than anybody when someone else gets saved. Just having a part to be able to lay hands on somebody's shoulder as they're surrendering their life to Jesus. Every single person in here is going to stand before the landlord and he's going to say, did you pay me or do you owe me? Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. No one will escape that great and horrible day when we stand before Him. But when I stand before Him, He won't remember all my rebellions from my youth. He won't remember all my drug use and my addictions. He won't remember my thieving. He won't remember any of that stuff. Because when He sees me, He puts on the crimson colored glasses of the blood of Jesus. And all he can see is Jesus. He sees little baby Jesus right there. He looks at me with all my sin and he recognizes Jesus on me. I don't deserve that. For a God that was willing to do that for me, my hands should never come down. My tongue should never stop singing His praises. I should be madly, deeply, totally in love with this One who has provided me the setup to bear fruit. Wow. Wow. 
every day. Every day. This is the day when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And on that day, for a moment, in a glimpse, we get what it would be kind of like if everybody recognized who Jesus was. But line the streets. They would salute him as he comes in. They would cry out, save us, Hosanna. That's what that means. Save us. We praise you. We look to you for salvation. And as they did that, they'd be crying out to him, recognizing who he was. That's what happened for a moment. What happens when you do it for your whole lifetime? Now my grandfather, he's already stood before the Lord. I think he found out little Davy isn't as crazy as he thought he was. Family members who judge you are going to find out they're standing there too. They're going to have to stand there too. But don't let it be that they don't know what is coming to them. Tell them of the great love of God and of the hell that they can avoid. Tell them. Salvation is just one prayer away. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.